Well, we're going to be coming out of Ephesians 4. If you didn't notice my little uh, blunder in the bulletin, I had last week's scripture reference and this week's scripture. So, but uh, we're going to be talking about um, a walk worthy. So as we go through the purpose of the church, Ephesians uh, 4 on through 6 basically talks about the responsibilities of the congregation, the responsibilities of us as believers, because as we as believers go, so go the congregation. And so in the scripture today we see uh, that, and we're probably only going to get up through maybe the first six uh, verses today, which is fine. Um, I, I, I sometimes bite off more than I can chew, but I don't want to rush through this because as we've talked about the purpose of the church, we talked about getting our relationship clear with God, which requires that we get our relationship clear with others also. So we've talked about forgiveness, both asking forgiveness um, and giving forgiveness to those around us. Last week we talked about making disciples. And so as we get into this, when you get up into uh, verses 12 and or 11 and 12, it talks about, you know, he gave uh, some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. So we, we tend to uh, focus that this is all about um, pastors and those with those callings. And it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. But a pastor or an evangelist cannot teach unless he has students, unless he has those that are willing to receive God's word. So when we talk about these things, these are things that we're teaching, but they're things that need to be applied. So last week we talked about making disciples. And I hope that's challenged some of you to get out of your chairs at home and to really think about, am I walking alongside somebody, helping them in their growth with Christ? Because sometimes we get way too complacent, way too lazy. We talk about uh, you know retirement in the real world, and we try to apply retirement to our spiritual world. And God says, well, there's no such thing as retirement in our spiritual world. We continually want to have people grow in Christ to speak things into their life. And that's part of what we're talking about today is this walk that is worthy. So when we're talking about making disciples, sometimes we get in the habit of just telling them what they need to do and not walking with them through that. And the Bible teaches us that we go with these people. We don't just tell them what to do, but we help them through that. So we're going to talk about a walk worthy today, and it begins this, uh, this way. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness, with all gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to, um, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's giving us that challenge. Paul is saying, I'm begging you. When he talks about beseech, he says, I'm pleading with you to do these things. So uh, maybe congregations back then were like congregations today. They weren't really motivated. They really weren't doers of the word. And so he says, listen here. He says, I'm really, I'm pleading with you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. Now, when we talk about a walk, we're not just talking about you know, uh, our own little world of our own, but we're talking about that in the world, that in which we uh, come in contact with others also, okay? So it's easy to be good when we're at home or, you know, keep ourselves pure at home, but he says, you know what? He says, you're in the world and not of the world. 
So get out in the world because that's where we need to go. Last week we talked about Matthew. Go, therefore, okay, so we're not staying at home. We're going out, therefore, making disciples, teaching them to obey all these things, baptizing them. So he's telling us that we need to be doers of his word. The problem is we live in a day and age today where really the church has lost its relevance. It's lost some of its impact in the world today. I think back in the 50s, uh, 40s and 50s, there was like 80% of people would have claimed or been active somehow in church. They would have at least gone to church. I'm not going to say they were all Christians, but they were somewhat active in the body of church. Uh, I think the, the most recent uh, statistic I wrote is like 17% of the population today uh, is involved in the church. So about one in five. And so we've seen this dramatic change that has come, but we have uh, this promise that, that Christ said that he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. And so in the midst of all these things, it doesn't matter if we get down to one in ten, the church of Christ is going to remain. It's going to remain and it's to those that are doing the work that Christ has called them to do, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming that truth. And so even though we're in one in five, God has still called us to go out. All that makes is our, our target that much bigger. Okay, So we know that most of the people that we're going to come in contact with are not involved in uh, a church, are not involved in spiritual things. And from that we can almost assume that they do not have that personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so we see this is that what God intended to be a, a dynamic relationship with him, that's, that's the church, we read about that in Acts. What God had intended to have this dynamic relationship with him that would transform lives, our lives, others' lives, and relationships. Okay, So you can have those friendships and relationships. Um, at least in some circles, we said, has become nothing more than a practice of religion. Okay, So we have churches today that may have people, may be full of people, but they're just they're there for a religion not for the relationship. And the way that we can define this is this, is that um, does this relationship that you profess to have with Jesus Christ, um, does it have bearing on the way that you live? Has this relationship with Jesus changed your priorities and impacted the way that you live? Or are you one that uh, God would say, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I do? We have this, this, this form of godliness, but we deny the power of it. And we look at that by our life. And the world looks at it by our life. It's sort of like this. There's a, I think J. Vernon McGee had, a, had an example of a man that used to hand out tracts. Well, tracts are good things. We hand out tracts sometimes. Um, and I have a great friend up in the Gilman area. He loves to hand out tracts. He's done it his whole Christian life. Uh, but this man went to hand out a tract, and he handed it out to this guy. And this, this man asked me, he says, well, what is this? He says, well, this is a gospel tract. And he says, a gospel tract? He says, yeah, it tells you what God wants of you. He says, I can't read. But he says, I'll watch your tracts, and I'll see by that what's important. So see, you know, it's like the statement that I'd rather see a good sermon any day than hear one. 
If as a pastor I'm up here and I preach one thing and I'm doing another, it's not going to have impact on your life. And so it is with you. In your life, you know, you, you call yourself Christian. Maybe you got the fish on your car. Maybe you got, you know, I love God on the bumper sticker or, or something like that. Or your Bible in the, the window for the world to see. But, but when we're doing things that are contrary to God, that really means nothing. And that's where the world believes that we are all hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. I hear that all the time. Because there's not much difference in those that have accepted Christ that, that profess Christianity and come to church in the world. You know that the divorce rate's about the same. Uh, incarcerated, I just talked with a guy yesterday and he's the head of our choir, uh, Protestant choir in the prison. I was talking to him, I said, did you ever have any you know, contact or religious background in your life? He says, oh yeah, I was very active in the church and this and that, but he's sitting in prison. And I've told you the story about the boy you know, in Lincoln Hills. Knew all the scriptures, but didn't apply them to his life. Is that you? Do you hear these messages? Do you hear this scripture, but don't apply them to your life? And, and just say, well, I've done my duty for the week and I go home. God intended for his word to change our life through the power of the Holy Ghost in our life, through the power of the word as we read it. It is here to transform us. It is here to change us and, and edify us. And, and it's supposed to penetrate all areas of our life. You know, this as probably as a sort of a, a trend today is mothers tend to bring their kids to church and the dads many times don't go to church. And this mother, there's a story of this mother that was trying to bring her seven-year-old boy to, to church sometimes. She said, well, the dad doesn't go. And the mom came back and she said, well, but when he was your age, he went every Sunday. And the boy said, is that true, dad? Dad said, yes, when I was your age, I, I went all the time. And so he told his mom, all right, I'll go. But then he said, but I don't think it's going to do me any good either. See, we can come to church, we can hear the words of God, but if we're not living it out in our life, what do you think that boy was watching? I think that's profound for this little insightful seven-year-old who identified really the reason why few... Um, why few people value church anymore. Because they hear one thing and they see another. It just doesn't seem to make much difference in the lives of those who attend church. And so a worthy walk is an important thing. Making disciples in a worthy walk go hand in hand. They are entwined with one another. So where is your walk? Why do we have this spiritual condition? Are we hypocrites in our life? Many say that, that we have um, uh, drifted away from the, the biblical portrait of the Christian faith. Some say, well, we need to get back to, to Scripture, but if we keep redefining our belief systems in this world, which we try to do in light of our experience instead of the Word of God, we're only going to drift further and further away from him. And so if this is true, and I do believe that it is, in order to fix the problem, we need to refocus. We need to refocus on the word of God. We need to refocus on what the scriptures say about God's purpose for the church. And when I talk about church, I'm talking about you, individual, because we make up the church. 
So if we have, if we have a church that says, uh, and we're an older congregation, so if we have a church that has the retired Christian mindset, we're not going to replicate ourselves. Remember the spiritual mules? They could do work within the church, but they don't replicate themselves. If we're not forgiving others or asking forgiveness where we have fallen short, our prayers are hindered with God. It's not going to happen. So we need to, to really focus on what God's word says in the scriptures about what the church is, and then we need to apply it to our life. That means, as James would say, we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, again, deceiving ourselves. And so Paul, as he starts into this second part of Ephesians, is talking about the conduct of the congregation. He's talking about the conduct of the believer. He's talking about how you and I, if we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, how we should walk in the things that we should be doing. Because we have no capacity uh, in ourselves to work our way to heaven. Some people say, well, but I give, I, I give money. And certainly God's going to recognize that. Well, I've led Bible studies for, for years. And taught a lot of people about Jesus. That's got to get me some points. I've preached a lot of sermons here. Surely when I get to heaven, God's going to give me credit for those things. But we look and we say, in reality, according to what Scripture says, we have no capacity to work our way to heaven. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any of us could boast. It's a gift of God. We are nothing less than trophies of God's boundless grace towards us. It is by his grace that we are saved. And the things that we do in this world are to bring him honor and glory. And so sitting at home does not bring him honor and glory. Isolating ourselves does not bring him honor and glory. Avoiding the truth does not bring him honor and glory. But by our life lived out in the way that he has called us to do, that is intended to bring him honor and glory. So Paul says, I, I beg of you as a prisoner of the Lord. He says, I'm owned by Christ. And I'm begging, I'm pleading with you to have a walk worthy um, of the calling that he has in your life. So how do we do this? He begins to describe this lifestyle that Christians are to have, that believers in Christ are to have. It's a lifestyle. It's not something we do, it's something we are. And we got to differentiate that in our, in our minds. Christianity or being a Christian isn't something we do, it's something we are. It says His Holy Spirit has come into our life and it has changed us, it's transformed us, if you are truly a believer of Christ. So we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. One is as we maintain the unity of the Spirit. And he doesn't tell us that, that we need to um, generate or make unity. It says that, that we maintain what God has already given us. And this word keep means stand guard over something. So the unity in the body of Christ is not something that we just get together and have a meeting or run a program and say, you know what? Okay, we're going to have unity now in the body. 
No, Christ has already done this, but we stand guard over that which Christ has called us to. He says, you don't need to produce it. You need to maintain it. It's already there. As it goes through uh, a little bit further, there's one Lord, or there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. There's the unity. It's all found in him. And he says, we need to guard that. And we need to walk in that. So, how do we maintain it? He tells us here. We maintain it. And why do we maintain it? Because there's one. And we walk in those things. And so then he goes on to say, you know, and, and I should say, in our lives, really, it's very easy to be critical of other Christians. Right? We, we, we can be critical of others in the body all the time. We can always look and, and we like to elevate ourselves above others in, in a lot of different ways. You know, we can think we're more spiritual because we sing hymns and, and not praises. And the people that sing praises think that they're, uh, they're, they're more spiritual in their songs than the old hymns. And we have those divisions. And so we can become critical of those. How do I dress? How do you dress? Well, I'm holier than you because I dress this way or not that way. And we put our emphasis on all these externals in the world today. And don't get me wrong, there's some, there's some value to the, etern- uh, to the externals. I mean, those are, those are things that are also important in our walk. But it's the internal things that God wants to deal with in our life. And when the internal is right, the externals tend to take care of themselves. You know, you cannot regulate mor- morality, Right? You can't make rules to do that because people always find their ways around rules. So we can always be critical of others in the body. But listen, we all have feet of clay. Right? We all can, can have things found. You know, it says those in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. But we all have clay feet, even those who don't realize it. Some people think they're rock solid and then pillars and then, oh, not, not me, never, not me. But the Bible warns Beware lest you fall. You know, pride cometh before the fall, fall before a haughty spirit. We have all those things in there. God commands us to maintain unity with one another. It says, modeling the same humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance that Jesus did. Right? It's all there in the scriptures. Verse 2. It says, Walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. I sort of thought I was going to get through a big chunk of scripture in that today, but I, I've really been stuck on a little bit of this, that, that this humility is something that we need to work on in our life. We need to be humble. It tells us right here, this is how you do it. Paul gives us the recipe. Right? Those that like to cook, you got recipes. You follow those recipes, right? I want to make those world famous buns that Joanne makes. She gives me the recipe. I don't just improvise and say, well, I'm going to throw this and put this in too and like a little cayenne or something. It wouldn't work right. We do that with God's word all the time. We, we add ingredients thinking that we can improve on it. Paul says this. This is how you do it. With lowliness. We don't like to be low. We don't like to, to think of ourselves as low. This, this, is, this lowliness is a humbleness. 
I think Matt Davis used to have a song way back when I was young. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. And then the verse, what something I can still remember. Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't stand to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. You know, it goes like that. That's our humility. That's sort of our humility. We, we, we're, we're, we're full of ourselves. And sometimes we're so full of ourselves that there's no room for Christ in our life. So this lowliness means this is that we're emptying ourselves of ourself. And we're saying, God, fill me. Mold me. Make me. I want to do what you would have me to do, but you got to get yourself out of the way. Sometimes in our life, that's the best thing that we can do is get ourselves out of the way and be available for what God would have for us to do. This humility is an important thing in our life. It says esteem others greater than yourself. That's totally contrary to what the world tells us. The world says go and be number one. If I got to step on people to do this, that's fine. I'm trying to achieve. I want to be all that I can be. I want to accomplish all these things. And, and I don't care about the collateral damage that's around me and that's crept into the church. Sometimes as believers, we are cruel to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not humble. We do not have that lowliness of spirit. When it says esteem others greater than yourself, it doesn't mean that they're better than you or that you're better than them. What that means is that you treat them as though they're something special. That you consider others before yourself. So sometimes I can look at something in my life and say, well, I sort of got these plans today. And, and somebody might say, well, I got something that I need help with. And I esteem them greater than myself. That's more important than me going home and watching a baseball game on TV. You treat them as though they are, are the most important things. You know, when you begin to treat people in the world like they are that important, they begin to respond. They begin to crave what it is that's in you. This makes for relationships that are really so appealing to outsiders that they cannot help but crave the same themselves. And when the church begins to, to shine so bright that others are craving what you have, they're a lot more receptive to when God speaks to their heart. They get rid of the clutter and the noise and, and they see something in somebody else that they want, and that's why Paul is saying, walk worthy. Walk worthy in your life. One of the things that drew me towards Christ was watching another Christian. And it was like, I want what that person has. And I wasn't talking about his possessions. I was talking about he had a peace in his life that, that I was missing. He had a family structure that looked healthy compared to, to what mine was growing up. He had things in his life... And, and I didn't understand, and at first I was looking at those things, but then he shared with me, it is Christ in our family, it is Christ in my life. That's what you need. Because I tried to, to mimic my family after his family. 
I just sort of said, well, this is how he does it. This is how we're going to do it. But it didn't work. Because I was missing that ingredient. I was missing Christ in the center. But see, in his life, in his modeling, in his walk that was worthy, he had something so appealing to me that I craved it and I wanted it. And I had to find out what it was. And his name was Jesus. We're to humble ourselves. Jesus humbled himself. Peter tells us this, that that he has given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And and for the believer, sometimes we find that difficult. Oh, that was Jesus, though. I can't walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Scripture tells us He's given us an example that we should follow it. Yes, we're not going to get it right. We're not going to get it perfect like he is. But the command is there. The challenge is there. Follow in his footsteps. And guess what? When we fall, when we fall short, which I do all the time, that's when we just repent of those things. We get back up and we begin to follow him again. It's going to be a continual life process for me. So this walk that is worthy doesn't mean we're never going to falter because we are. But don't just say because we are, it's a reason to walk crooked lines. No. My goal when I get up is to get my eyes on Christ, follow him through that day, seek what it is that he has for me. But Christ was humble. Christ was humble. And so when it says follow in his footsteps, we can look and say, I need to be humble like Christ was humble. He came down from heaven, Hebrews 2.9. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned him with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He humbled himself by coming down. We think on this earth that we're the top of the food chain. We're smart because we can think, we can reason, we can devise. But from God's perspective, he made himself lower might liken us to say, you know what? I want to learn to talk to these hogs, so I'm going to make myself a pig. How do you think about that? I wouldn't want to become a pig. This is God. Why would he want to become man? But he humbled himself because that was the plan that he had to give us redemption for our sins. It says that he humbled himself and became lower than the angels to become like one of us. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus tells us this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You got a humble heart. Or you got a proud heart. Are you gentle with others around you? And it says when we do this, you will find rest for your souls. We all know 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear their prayers. Then I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, we pray for our country. We should pray for our country every day. Our country was based on on Christian principles. But guess what? We ask God to intercede. God, make this this country what it needs to be again, a God-fearing country. And guess what? It's not going to happen until 
God's people stand up. Until God's people live the life that they profess. Until God's people walk the walk worthy that God has called them to do. There's a lot of politicians, they get in, they say, I'm a Christian. Because there's a demographic that they need to appeal to. To the Christian that is in those positions that stands on the principles of the word of God and will not be moved off of those. Who can humble himself, not the word of God. Who can work with people gently, just as the scripture says, be long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. When we have Christians that stand up and walk that way, then we will begin to see change in this world. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. The command is there. We need to be humble in our spirit. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I look at at pride like this, because it says pride comes before the fall. Pride is like a tough stick that, that God may have to break in order to make it useful to him. Have you clothed yourself with humility? Have you emptied yourself of pride in yourself? Got out of the way so God's spirit can work. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You don't need to worry about climbing that corporate ladder or doing all these things and elevating yourself. If you elevate yourself to the very top of what this world could ever offer and you have not Christ when this world ends, you're nothing. You can be on the top of the mountain here and you're going to be six feet under when you die. Christ says, humble yourselves and I will lift you up. The things of Christ go way beyond this world. Psalms 25, 9, and he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. Part of the problems in churches today is we don't have learners, we don't have disciples, we don't have people that want to grow and apply God's word. They want to come and fill a a pew. They want to come and say, I've been in church. They want to come and say, oh, we've sang songs. But they don't want to walk in the ways that God has called him to walk. He says he leads the humble in what is right. Listen, if your pride is in the way, you know what does the scripture say? There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. That's the proud man. Everything he goes for is going to be wiped off, destroyed, burnt up. The Lord will lead the humble in what is right. And he will teach the humble in his way. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And if your attitude isn't this way, don't say God created me that way. No. That'd be Satan in you. Because God's word tells us this, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and we're to follow in his footsteps, as the scripture says, though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God to be a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. So God did this with with the godly attributes, and he tells us to do this with the worldly attributes in our life. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. What do you mean, to be a servant? Do I got to be a servant? I don't want to be a servant. I want to be a leader. 
I want people to serve me. Part of the problem with the church, we come to be served and not to serve. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Are you willing to humble yourself by becoming obedient to God's word? Man, I really like doing this in my life. It's really just, you know, but I know God's word says, you know, I probably shouldn't do that, but man, I just so enjoy, you know, and I know God says this should be a priority, but man, I really like doing this better. Are you willing to become obedient? I read somewhere this week, it said, you know, be in God's word today so you can be in his will tomorrow. You know, we need to get God's word and we need to apply it to our life and to do what he has called us to do. Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for you and I. He died for us. And so he's calling us here to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And we have that call because he died on Calvary and because he rose again. We have that that calling on our life because he is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is our Lord. I want to close with the story of uh, working in the prison system. I was sort of trapped with the difference of lives that can be changed for these people. And I tell you, I, I get amazed all the time. You know, I deal with men that are never going to have the freedom you and I have. The rest of their life, they're going to be uh, inside a fence. Okay? But I have met men in there that, that are freer than you and I. They've learned to humble themselves. They've learned to be obedient to God. They, their lives have been transformed. Their lives have, have um, been changed. And it, there is a bearing on the way that they live. They've changed. But I came across this um, article about a, an evangelist who had spoken at an Indiana state prison. And this happened only weeks after Stephen Judy was uh, executed um, by the electric chair. And, and whenever there's an execution, we don't have this in Wisconsin, but some, some states do. And um, whenever there's an execution in a prison, they just say that there's a certain type of tension that flows throughout the prison for some time. And after his message, uh, the warden took this evangelist and his team on a tour of the prison, and, and finally on their way out, they came through these two big steel doors into this isolated area where uh, those men that were condemned to die, death row, basically, um, were at. And they let these men out to visit with this evangelistic team. And uh, the writer of this article said it was a beautiful thing to listen to all these men singing Amazing Grace. And these are men on death row. And uh, just a, a beautiful time, he said. And as they were shaking hands and saying their goodbyes, there was one condemned to die. His name was uh, James Brewer. He walked back into his cell with one of the volunteers. And as everyone else filed out, uh, this volunteer remained in, in Brewer's cell. And the two were standing shoulder to shoulder reading the Bible, reading the scripture. And uh, as time passed, the evangelist 
attempt, attempt to hurry things along because you know there's reasons why people got to keep moving and and um, so he sort of told the volunteer we got to get going and the guy said just a minute and uh, the evangelist said sorry he says time's up we, we really got to go and this was the score he said please please this is very important you see I am Judge Clement I sentenced this man to die but now he's born again he's my brother in Christ and we would like a minute to pray together now this is impossible in human terms only in Christ can these things happen. And so this evangelist stood in this dimly lit uh, cell block um, and watched as these two men, one was black, one was white, one had power, one was powerless, one was condemned. And he should have really despised the judge. But there they are. And only in Christ could this happen or be lived out as both of these men walked in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. See, God can make that difference. We hold little things against people. We tend to elevate ourselves up above others. But when I read stories like this, when I see these things in action in the world, I know that God can do great things. But we need to be willing to empty ourselves, to have that humble spirit It says, with gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. It's a time process. If the church wants to be effective, they've got to stop pointing fingers and saying, this is what you need to do to be right with God. And they need to start walking with these people and showing them and teaching them and making disciples. Because the greatest way we can make disciples is to follow what Paul is saying here, to have a walk that is worthy of the calling in which you were called. And each one sitting here today has a, their own call on their life. This isn't a cookie cutter thing that God does for us. He's got a calling on our lives. And even though a little while here he says, well, some are called to be prophets and evangelists and, and teachers and pastors. Some of us are called to be cooks and waitresses and, and you know, mechanics and construction workers. God has called us wherever we are at to share that gospel, to reach out to those and walk with them and share with them because they may be the only voice of Christ that they may hear. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have that walk that is worthy? And as the people go, so the congregation goes. And as the congregation goes, so goes the church. We want a strong church. We need strong individuals who are willing to apply God's word to their life. Let's pray.